glad you're here. We're in part three of a series called The Heart of David. Uh, if you haven't been here, go check out online. You can get a free CD copy in the back of last week's message. This is the greatest guy in the Old Testament. I mean, he's just, he's just a stud. He's cool. He's, he's every, because he, he's like the super, like girls, y'all would love him because he's sensitive and he plays musical instruments and sings. It's really romantic. But then he's like a thug and a warrior. You know what I'm saying? So like he's, he's a little bit of everything for everybody. This guy, he actually is talked about more in the Old Testament than any other person, more than Abraham, Joseph, you know, Moses, you name it, any other guy. This guy, I think there's over 60 chapters of the Old Testament that record parts of his life. And his life is fascinating. But what we wanted to key in on this series is this, is that there's a, there's a key part to the opening of his life where God wants to anoint a new king. And he said, you know what? This old king is tripping. I want to get a king who is a man after my own heart. Now, which begs the question, what was it about him? What was in his heart that God was so attracted to? Because that's what we want to become, isn't it? If that's the heart that God says, that's the one I can trust. That's the one I can make king. That's the one that's really good. Like, that's the heart we all want. And so we've been on this journey trying to discover what is in the heart of David. And last week, what we talked about was this, is that inside of David, really the story that he's most famous for is David and what? Yeah, the big ugly dude. And so David and Goliath kind of starts him, him out with that. He's a fighter. And he talks about that in the story. I mean, I fought lions and bears. I'll kill that guy too. I don't care. And, and he's a fighter. And, and what we talked about was is not that that means you need to put on war paint and go buy an AR necessarily. But, but it wasn't that like, I don't want you to punch somebody in the face. Like, I'm a fighter. Um, that, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. What I was talking about was is that somebody who is willing to fight for what they believed in and fight against the spiritual enemies of their life. And so that's what David embodied, not only in that great epic story, but all throughout his life. And the people around him picked up on that vibe and became courageous and bold and fearless people. And so David had the heart of a fighter and a warrior in him. Today, we will look at something that's totally different. Again, the spectrum of David, David is a dynamic dude, is that David was an incredible friend. As a matter of fact, David has a friend in the Bible named Jonathan, and more so than any other two people in all of Scripture, you find them representing what true friendship really looks like. So today I want to talk to you about that, like the heart of a friend. And here's why this is so important. I, like, and this is becoming more and more clear to me the older I get and the more experience and perspective I get in life. And it's this, is that our friends will determine the direction and the quality of our life. How many of you have found that to be true so far? You found like, yeah, there, there's something about, like your friendships, your relationships in life greatly affect everything. As a matter of fact, like, like doctors are discovering now that your friendships and relationships dictate your health level. Did you know that? Like the quality of your friendships dictate and have an effect on your health level, which means this. It is it is better to eat Twinkie amongst friends than to eat broccoli by yourself. And so you need good relationships, even for the quality of your health. Great friends come in. Solomon said it like this. He goes, I'll tell you why you need a good friend, because two is better than one. Because <laughs> if you're in trouble, you don't want to be alone. You can get more accomplished. You, you, there's nothing worse. He even says, look, if you're out alone at night because they didn't have the, the same, you know, amenities that we have today is like you don't want to be stuck out in the cold by yourself you better have somebody to cuddle up with and so he said you need friendships now i i don't know about you too but I, what i find is it's true to this statement is that the greatest experiences of my life have always been with somebody else have you noticed that my wife is my friend or my buddies is my friend the funnest most awesome great experiences came with what my buddy my buddy my friend now now this is true too i want you to think about the dumbest things you've ever done in your life 
Because they usually begin with the phrase, well, I was with so-and-so. What had happened was, me and so-and-so went, you know, it's a, that's how our story begins. So, so this is a true statement based on our own history and reflection. And the Bible has a ton to say on friendship, which I found at first glance, I found to be kind of odd. Why would the Bible speak so much about friendship? Isn't the, the Bible supposed to get us connected to God? And I found this deep, deep truth that God cares incredibly about our friendships and about our relationships because they determine the direction and the quality of your life. You remember what your mama said? Mama, mama would say something like this, like, I can tell where you're going by the people that you're hanging out with in life. Like, that, that, that's not far from the truth. The quality and direction of your life is greatly affected by the friendships that you have. And so when you look at life, when we talk about friendship, here's what I'm talking about. Friends, and, and these, are, these are good ones. We're not talking about them dumb friends or crazy friends or weird friends. We're talking about your great, true, genuine friends. They believe in you when no one else does. Isn't that the truth? They're loyal even when you make it hard to be loyal. They're the first to call when you get laid off, and then the first to call when you get a promotion, they're just the first to call. They give and give, and then they want nothing in return necessarily. They're just genuine, good quality friends. As a matter of fact, there was, a, there was a, an article done, and it, it basically decided we were going to give away a prize to the person who comes up with the best definition of friendship. And this is the winning definition. It says this, is a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. That's a pretty good definition of friendship, isn't it? Hey, they're there when no one else is. When the world is going out, they're coming in. That is what a great friend is. Now, here's what I know about our audience and who's sitting here today. That there are two emotional reactions going on right now as I begin to talk about friends. And some of you in this life have experienced great friendships. And I'm in that category. I can't lie. As I thought about today and this message and as I dug deeper into it and God was showing me more, I thought, man, I have been so blessed with great friends. Like I've always throughout my life. I can go back to elementary school. And think about my buddy Brian. I can go through middle school. And think about my buddy Ben. I can go through high school. And I can go through college. And, and, and any state I've lived in. And God has always brought really, really quality people around me. And even to this day I feel like I have great friendships. But that's not all of our story. Some of us when we hear this kind of opening about friends. And you know we're, we're, a little bit of pain creeps up in our heart. Because we start thinking... Well, my friend, you don't know what they did to me and you don't know how much they betrayed me or when they did this or they left or they weren't when the whole world was going out, they went right out with them. That was what my friend did. And so many of you have those stories. Many of you have painful experiences. And so, again, there's two different emotional responses as we get into today's message. And I'm fully aware of that. Here's what I want us to do. If you're in my boat and you say I've had great friendships, I want you to be incredibly grateful. And I want you to listen to what I have to say today so you keep cultivating great relationships. But if you're in the other boat where you say I have had some difficult times, I've had hard friendships, I had people do me wrong or do me dirty or I've been betrayed, then I want you to hang with me through the pain and let's figure out the what and the why and, and what's next in your life. Everybody with me up so far? Let's pray as we begin today. Can we do that? God, we pray that as we read these scriptures, as we look into this story, that God, you would teach us, that you would show us, that God, you would shape us and that you would mold us. God, let us walk out of this place different than the way that we walked in, God. That's our prayer today. Everybody say amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, because what I want to show you is this, is that David, after he's anointed as king, he's a teenager. He's like, you ain't going to be king yet, but you, you will be king one day. He's anointed king. Later, he goes to the, the valley of Allah, and he fights Goliath, and he becomes, after he beats Goliath, a national hero. 
he later gets joined in because part of the prize of beating Goliath was not only you got a lot of money, you got no taxes for the rest of your life. You also got the king's daughter and you got her hand in marriage. And so David's now what? The son-in-law or the future son-in-law of the king. And so the king invites him in. The king puts him in as a military leader. He's growing and developing. But here's the problem. David is so awesome. And David, everybody loves David so much that they start singing songs about him. And the songs go like this. Saul, the current king, has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul was already a lunatic, right? He was already losing his mind, literally. And so he flips out and he gets basically paranoid. He gets afraid. He believes David is there to kill him. He totally just gets paranoid about the whole thing. And so he actually decides that he is going to get after David. But when he brings David into the house before this really unfolds, David meets the king's son. The king's son is named Jonathan, and that's what we look at today is this dynamic of what takes place. First Samuel chapter 18, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one spirit with David. That's Bible code for like, they just connected and clicked right out of the gate. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home from his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. So here you see the meaning of these two guys. Now, both of them come from messed up families. And I think this is what, what the part of them that bonded. You ever found a friend that because of mutual past experiences, you felt like you got each other? Like because you had been through a similar thing that they had been through, you just seemed to connect. Here's the deal. David, remember, was the eighth son of, of all of Jesse's kids. And he was kind of the left out one, the abandoned one. And I think Saul being neurotic and being weird and being the king, I think both of these boys felt like, hey, we come from some dysfunction junction and both of our dads are kind of weird and both of us feel a little bit left out and on the outside looking in. But we have each other and I think we get each other. And I think if we had each other's back in life, I think we could do great things. And so this is, I think, what, what bonds them. But what you see Jonathan doing, and I need you to get this because this is huge. He makes this incredible gesture, doesn't he? The first thing he does is he takes off his robe. What was Jonathan? He wasn't the king. He was the king's son, which would have made him what? The prince. And so he would have been the heir to the throne. And so he's, he's royalty in, in a sense. And so he takes off the royal robe and he gives him the robe and he gives him the sword and the belt and the bow and he gives him all this stuff. And here's what I want you to see is this, is that a true friend is willing to sacrifice. This is probably the first and maybe the most important ingredient of what we're going to talk about today. It's his ability to sacrifice right out of the gate that is part of what joins them together. And I need you to catch this idea. See, in the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language is a little bit more dynamic than the English language. And, and there's not a ton of words, and so they pack a lot of meaning into a small list of vocabulary. And then what they do is, is they have vowels that are interchangeable. They look at their language a little bit more dynamically than what, than what we do. Here's what you need to know about them. Is that the word sacrifice and the word closeness has the same root words. Okay, so think about that. So the way they would look at their language is everything went down to a root and the root always connected meanings together. So the word sacrifice and the word closeness or togetherness, same root letters. Does that make sense? And this is what we find to be true whenever you think about it. As a matter of fact, when you think about it like this, when you actually work hard to achieve something and you sacrifice to achieve something, doesn't it mean more to you? Don't you feel closer to that thing than if it was just given to you? Is that true? Yeah, because it's this is why you have parents that feel more strongly about their kids than their kids do about their parents. 
Like, why do you got like kids wanting to like divorce their parents today? Okay, you're tripping. But why? Because what do kids generally sacrifice for their parents or do parents generally sacrifice for their kids? No. And so the parent typically feels closer or strong. This is why you have parents who become enablers because they feel so close to their kid and they don't want to quit on their kid. They don't want to give up on their kid. And part of the reason why you don't is because of how much you've sacrificed. But many times you find that kid, he's ready to bolt and he don't even care. Because sacrifice creates closeness. Think about this, even with your relationship with God. The reason why, and this is many reasons, one of the reasons why you give to God, you give toward the kingdom of God, is not because God needs your money. I mean, how ridiculous is the thought that God needs your money? Really? Like God needs Benjamins. So what you need to realize is that part of the reason why you give is so that you will become what? Close to God. Do you see the difference there? It's not that God needs your money. It's that you need your offering so that you can feel closer and be closer and be more together with God. So, so this is why it's so important. As a matter of fact, if you're out here today and you said I was to move into a new city, what I would tell you to do is, is go get a part of a church, go get a part of a group, an organization, a community, a neighborhood, and then begin to just do things sacrificially for the people in that group. And what you'll find is this, is that your sacrifice will draw you closer to them. And that sacrifice will in many ways obligate them back to you. And then you form relationship. But that's the way you create relationship. It's just through giving. It's through sacrifice. It's through that connectedness. And that's what Jonathan does for David. He says, hey, I'm a sacrifice for you. And that's what great friends are willing to do. The other day, I told you, I went, I went to Michigan on a, on a vacation family reunion trip or whatever you want to call it. And, and we had to be, I think our flight was 6.30 a.m. in the morning. And that's in San Jose. And I got three little yahoos. You know what I'm saying? And so it's not easy. And then you know, they tell you they want you there like two hours early. So you start doing the math. And then figure out how long it takes to drive to San Jose. And then figure out, I need to find somebody that will drive me. <laughs> now you better have a friend. Because you got a friend in Jesus, but he ain't driving you to the airport, okay? And so... And so that, that type of sacrifice is just what great friends do for each other. They're willing to go pick you up at midnight or take you in at 4 a.m. or do whatever. They're just willing to sacrifice. And so that's what we need to embody. The heart of David is the heart of a friend. And part of what makes friendship great is what you are willing to sacrifice. Look, Jesus has the exact same definition. Look at John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his what? His friend. Yeah. Like, this is, this is the way Jesus looked at it. Jesus looked at his disciples the same way. No longer do I call you disciples, I call you my friends. And this is what a friend really does. A friend is willing to sacrifice. And so when you begin to think about your friendships, and I'm not talking about you right now analyzing the people around you. I'm talking about you analyzing yourself. Am I a person inside my friendships that's willing to sacrifice? Or is it always just about me? Is it what I want to do in my way and me getting what I want? And as long as you're in on what I want, we can hang. But as soon as it's about somebody other than myself, I'm not down. Because friendships are built on this idea of sacrifice. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 19, verse 1 through 5. So Saul told his son Jonathan. Remember, the story progresses. Saul eventually gets paranoid, neurotic. He wants to kill David. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants... To kill David. <laughs> so this is his best friend now. He's like, I want you to go kill your best friend. But daddy, he's my best friend. Um, I don't care. Kill him anyway. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him. 
And he warned him saying this, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and I'll stand with my dad in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and I will tell you what I find out. He's doing reconnaissance. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Here's what you find is, is that David's in trouble because the, the, the king has gone neurotic. And Jonathan steps in, even against his own dad, and says, Hey, Dad, look, you're in the wrong here. He's totally innocent. And this is what a great friend is willing to do, is a true friend is a loyal defense before others. A true friend, now this is what you find when you think about your great friends. Not only do they not gossip about you, that'd be like, you know, friendship 101. Friendship 201 is they will go to defense for you. Like, nah, you ain't gonna talk about my friend. No, 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 he's not here, and I'll let you know that he's my friend, and I'm going to stick up for him. I'm not going to let you talk about him like that. You don't know him like I know him, and you're talking about, and you just stand up and begin to argue and fight and defend and do whatever for your friend. That's what a great friend does. Doesn't let other people dog your friend out. Doesn't let other people just throw them under the bus and make up stuff or gossip or slander them. Even if they did something wrong, you might say, and say hey, look, he was wrong and he made a mistake, but you know, I'm not going to let you sit here and talk to him or talk about him like that. I am his defense, and I had this happen for me personally. When I first took a job in San Jose, um, I was a youth pastor there. And, um, it, well, the problem was this, is that certain people really, really liked me, and that rubbed other people really, really wrong. You, you know what I'm talking about? You know, when you're the favored kid, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it just didn't go good for me. And there was a couple of two, three people at that church that just did not like me. But my buddy is hanging out with these guys one night, the guys that don't like me. And they start just dogging me and dissing me and throwing me under the bus. And you would think, but Todd, this is a church and these are supposed to be, yeah, 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 it don't matter. Um, people's people and sin is sin, all right? Uh, we, we all broken in need of Jesus to heal us. And so these guys are just totally dogging me out and dissing me out. And my friend, and I heard about it, it means the world to you when you hear about this stuff. Because I didn't hear it from my buddy that stuck up for me. I heard it from somebody else. And it meant the world to me. He was like, hey, I want you to know these dudes were like dogging you out and like throwing you under the bus. And sure enough, it was this guy who stood up and said no. And this is what he said to me. He said, no, you don't know him like I know him. And that's not the way he is. And if you actually would give him a chance, you would like him. And he stood. But these guys had every reason why they didn't want to like me. And, and, and my buddy stood up. It was the coolest thing in the world. It's the greatest experience to have your friend just have your back. I mean, that's what really there's a great story of, of, of uh, if you remember the story of um, Jackie Robinson, they did a movie 42 not too long ago. Jackie Robinson was one of the first black baseball players who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And man, in this day and age of, of, of racism and how just awful and blatant and mean and cruel the racism would be. And so as a black player, I mean, he was traveling to these different baseball stadiums and, and the, 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 the stuff that would come out of the dugouts or the stuff that would come out of the stands. I mean, it was just awful. And so sure enough, it had reached a boiling point and, and he played again for the Brooklyn Dodgers. There was a guy, was a Southern guy named Pee Wee Reese. If you remember that, if you used to collect baseball cards as a kid or you know your old school base, there was a guy named Pee Wee Reese. The, the, the slurs and the stuff that was coming out was so bad that Pee Wee Reese, who was playing shortstop at the time, Jackie played second, he called a timeout and all he did was walk over, put his arm around Jackie Robinson and then just stand there until the crowd became quiet. 
What an incredible gesture. I mean, what, 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 what a movement to say, man, I got your back. I'm with you no matter what. And, and I'm not going to let other people dog you out. I'm not going to let other people talk about you like that. And I want you to know that that's what a great friend does. And so when you, not, not you analyzing everybody else right now, but you analyzing you, how do I do? Am I quick to talk about my friends or am I quick to defend my friends? Because a great friend is willing to be that. The great defense before others. Let's keep going. So, 1 Samuel chapter 20, the, the, the story progresses. Saul is just totally bent on killing. He doesn't, it doesn't matter what Jonathan has said. He's still set on killing David. And this is what takes place. Jonathan goes to David and he says this. He says, go in peace for we have sworn friendship and each other in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. What it goes on to say is this. Is that, is that really that what they did was they bonded with each other. They, uh, they hung out with each other. Gosh, I don't know why I messed this up, but th- they begin to cry together. You gotta think like, you went from national hero to national outlaw. The king of the nation is hunting you down. He has gathered the army of Israel to come to find you and to kill you. You're being run out of your home. You are on the, you, you can't ever return home to the king palace. You can't return home to Jesse and his home. You, you are completely banished. From the nation that you love and that you fought for, you have to leave friends, you have to leave wife, you have to leave family, you have to leave everything. And it says that they wept together. Now, I'm going to tell you what this means to me. This is the third characteristic of a great friend. True friends give each other complete freedom to be themselves. Because this, that's a lot when you get to cry with your buddy, right? Because we're dudes. We don't like to cry. Well, it's most of us. How many like to, anybody like to cry? Just a good... Nope, man, I was going to even own it. See, some of y'all like to cry, though. Cry at movies, ashamed of it. Yeah, sorry. You know what I'm saying? When Nemo, ah, you were crying. A true friend, a true friend allows their buddy to be themselves, allows their friend to be themselves. Because here's, here's the reality of it all. We are all broken. We all have our flaws. We all have our quirks and our personality. We all have things that we wish we weren't better at. Like, like one of the things that like my wife has outed me about is that um, I get hangry sometimes. Um, and, and what that means is, is that if I get too hungry, you know that Snicker commercial? That's me. So if you're my friend, you should just carry around a Snicker bar. That's all that means. But Todd, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Satisfied? Anyway. There's something about you looking at your friend being loyal, being faithful, defending them, sacrifice for them. But at some point, looking at them and say, yeah, they're kind of like that. But that's all right. I still love them. Yeah, they're kind of like this. They're kind of emo. They kind of talk too much. They kind of do this. They got, they got all their things. They got their quirks. They got their weird things. Yeah, he's a little grumpy when he's hungry. He's, he's got whatever, but I love him. And at some point, you've got to allow the other person to be themselves and accept them and love them for who they are. As a matter of fact, men typically are worse than this than women are, but one of the reasons why some of you lack great friendship is because you lack the ability to be vulnerable. Like we're so shallow, and guys are especially like this. We just want to keep it in the shallow zone. This is why, guys, if you look at most of your conversations, they never go an inch deep. You know what I mean? It's like that's about it. We'll talk about sports. 
We might talk about like the news. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about what you did last weekend. But it never goes into those deep layers of what are you afraid of? What are you actually dealing with? What are the, what are the greatest moments of your life? What are the most painful moments of your life? And so, so anyway, it has this kind of level. Level number one is this is called the mingling level. This is where when you first meet people, you know what I'm saying? You just mingle. Typically, you're finding out what they do and where they're from or, you know, maybe their, their hobby or whatever. It's just totally mingling. That's pretty shallow, isn't it? Number two is this. This is the acquaintance level. This is where we go from beyond mingling. And now we go into, well, we hang out every once in a while. We'll go do something together. You know, we're, we're acquaintances. And then thirdly, we move into the, maybe what we would call the friendship level for most of us. I wouldn't necessarily say it's deep, but it's at least the friendship level. Like we go hang together. We go do things together. We enjoy things together. But there's the fourth level. And this is where I really want you to think about David and Jonathan. They go to the level of being vulnerable. And that's when you truly allow somebody to just be themselves, to let it all hang out and just let them be themselves. Let's keep going. First Samuel chapter 23. I love this one right here. First Samuel chapter 23, it says, While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Let's, let's say that again. Helped him find strength in God. And he gives him a speech. Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horus. I love this. He's like, look, you're going to be the king. I'm going to be number two. He ain't going to touch you. We're going to do it. We're going to overcome. This is, this is like Will Smith and Martha. This is like, hey, we ride together and we die together. We're bad boys for life. And so they just have this, we're going to do it no matter what. We're Thelma and Louise. Let's hold hands. They died. What am, that's not the same. But they had that mentality, you know, about living instead of jumping off a cliff. Um, how many of y'all remember Thelma and Louise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a weird movie. Anyway, here's what I want you to know is this big, big, huge characteristic. Number four and last one we'll talk about today is that a true friend is a constant source of encouragement. That's what friends do. Man, they build you up. They pump you up. They, they, they believe in you when nobody else believes in you. They're like, hey, you're going to get that job. You're going to get out of debt. You're going to overcome. Hey, this is going to work out. I'm believing for you. I'm praying for you. We, remember, we ride together. We die together. Come on. We're going to encourage one another. And if you truly think about the people that you most enjoy being around, they're encouragers. Now, some of you just have it. I've, I've met some of you, and, 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 and some of y'all have, like, the gift of encouragement. It's like in the Bible, it's a gift. Some people, you just ooze it. It just comes out of you so naturally. I wish I had that. I'm a little envious. i got to be honest. I'm a little envious. I wish I had that because I'm not the best encourager. I have to think about it. I have to force myself. I have to do it, even when it's maybe a little uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, be a person of encouragement. Because what I've learned is this, is that for the most part, people that don't encourage... If you're out there today and you say, I struggle with encouraging, I don't do it, I'm not good at it, I just can't ever find the words to say, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push it a little sensitive spot here. Number one is this, either you're painfully oblivious, like don't know that you're not and just choose not to, you're, you're painfully oblivious, or this is the deeper one, is that you are afraid to give away something that you yourself might lose. Some of us are, are, are not strong enough on the inside. We, we have what we would say is an insecurity on the inside of us. And we are so deathly afraid that if we gave away encouragement that we might lose something ourselves. 
This is why Gore Vidal, the, 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 the famous poet, he said this. He said, every time my friend succeeds, I die a little on the inside. He was aware of it. He was aware that when, when, when somebody else did really, really well, it made him feel smaller. And that's why we don't encourage. The reason why we don't encourage is because maybe we don't feel good enough about ourselves. We're not strong enough on the inside to say, hey, man, I'm proud of you. Way to go. What a great accomplishment. I'm so happy for you. Because we're afraid that by doing so, we will lose something ourselves. And all that is rooted in our lack of connection and our lack of relationship with our Heavenly Father. Because if we knew who we were in God, we wouldn't worry about giving something away because we would know this. If I give it away, the more will come back my way. I'm telling you, see, here's the deal. By me encouraging you, I've lost nothing. I've only gained a friend. I don't lose anything when I encourage other people, but our insecurity, it, it just screams at us sometimes to say, wow, I'll feel smaller or awkward or, or they'll be better than me somehow. All these weird and sometimes subconscious thoughts or ideas kind of float through our head. And I'm telling you, you need to force yourself to become an encourager, because I'm telling you, that's what great friends do. They build each other up. I mean, look at the speech he gives them. You're going to make it. You're going to do it. You're going to overcome. I'm with you no matter what. And he just strengthens David in the Lord. What an incredible friend that is. And, and, and now here's the deal. I'm going to talk about why this is so important. We talked about the fact that the quality and the direction of your life is determined by our relationships. Well, we all kind of agreed well, you smiled at me, so I'm going to take that as you agree. Here's the other thing that I've learned, and this is something that's new for me. I started to ask myself, God, why would you spend so much time, not just in this, but all of the Bible, why would you spend so much time talking about friendships and how to do friendships well? And what has occurred to me is this, is that God looks at the way you treat your friends. Get this. God is examining, watching, and looking at the way that you treat your friends. Because the way you treat your friends is a reflection of how you will treat God. Are you loyal? Are you faithful? Are you willing to defend even? Because how, think about it. You ever met, met friends? Fairweather friends. Friends that will talk about you, gossip about you, bail on you when hard times come. You know what those people do in their relationship with God? The same thing. God is incredibly relational. God has invited you to have a relationship with him. But I'm telling you, the way that God, the reason why relationships are so important to God and because how you treat other people is eventually a reflection of how you will treat him. This is huge because your God, your heavenly father wants to be in relationship with you. And so he's encouraging you. He's teaching you. He's guiding you. I want you to be great at friendships. And yes, this includes how you treat your spouse. I want you to be great at relationships, great at how you treat your friends, because that ultimately will determine the quality and the direction of your life. And so greatly affects our ability to have relationship with one another. Think about this. God in the Bible looks at a guy like Abraham and he said, hey, you are my friend because you trusted me and you believed in me and you just let me be me. And you try. I mean, it was huge. This is the first time in the Bible that God ever looks at a guy and says, you're my friend. Friendship matters to your heavenly father. And so what I want you to do is I want you to move forward in life. So let's go back. There's two different sets of people in this room. If you're in the boat that I am, which I have incredible friendships and throughout my history and throughout my life, here's what I want you to do. I want you, number one, to be grateful and to be thankful to your heavenly father. But then I want you to go and be grateful to those friends. Some of you need to like send an email, shoot out a Facebook, make a phone call, write a personal note and say, hey, I just want you to know you've been a great friend throughout my life or you've been a great friend over these past few years or past few months. And I just want to say thank you. 
We, we did this the other night. We, I was out with a group of guys. And at the end of the night, one of the guys texted everybody and said, hey, I just want you to know how much I appreciate our fellowship as dudes. It was just, it was, it was just a gesture of gratitude. And that's what you need to do. Because, again, that endears people to each other. And so th- not only that, if you're in the boat of having great friendships, I want you to keep doing what we talked about today. I want you to keep sacrificing, keep defending, keep encouraging, and cultivate the relationships that you already have. Everybody say, okay. But. For those of you who are in the different boat, I want you to do something very, very specific. And I wrote these down. Somebody needs to take some notes on this. I want you to do something very specific. If you've had painful experiences and, and betrayal experiences with your friendships, here's what I do want you to do over these next couple of days. And I want you to begin to apply these things to your life is this. Number one is this, is I want you to remember you do have a friend in Jesus. Like you're never alone in this life. You're never like, oh, nobody loves me. Nobody has my back. Nobody. Don't, don't throw yourself a pity party because no one's coming. Listen to me. I want you to be so solid and so grounded that you have a a, a relationship with God that is never ending and that he is always there for you. The Bible says he will never leave you nor forsake you. Number two is this, is I want you to actually begin to pray for great friends. Most of us don't ever do this, but I want you to make a conscious thought and say, God, I really want you to send quality people into my life. God, help me to find them. Help them to find me. Help those opportunities to cross paths. God, move heaven and earth. Do whatever you need to do. But God, I want some quality people. Because some of you know the quality and the direction of your life is poor right now because the people that you have surrounding you right now. Your life is just, you don't like it. You're unhappy in certain areas. You're miserable in certain areas. It's because of the people that you've surrounded yourself with. I want you to begin to pray for great friends. Number three is this, is I want you to choose your friends wisely. Because some of you, I love you so much, so just know that I, 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 just, I just say this because I like you. Some of you, because I'll have you in my office or I'll have you on my phone and you're giving me your life story and it's this and this and this and this and this. And here's the problem with being a counselor many times because I'm not even a good one. Um, I'm too direct. I think in like steps and processes. I, I don't have therapeutic healing things. I don't, I don't do that. Um, but most of the time you come to me and you got your issue and I'm sitting here thinking about, well, if you hadn't have done this and you hadn't have done that, then this would ever... So let's go back and fix that. And so that's why I stink as a counselor. But, but many times in life, when you look at the friends and the people that you've surrounded yourself with, I would just chalk that up to like, why did you choose to yoke your life, to hitch your life up to those people? Because Proverbs says this, Solomon had incredible wisdom when he said this. He said that when you um, are friends with wise people, you become wiser. But the destruction or the, the friends of fools leads to destruction. So like your life, according to Solomon... When you hang out with wise people, you get wiser. But when you hang out with, with foolish people, you don't get dumber. Does that make sense? Did you notice that? If you hang out with smart people, you get smarter. It doesn't say if you hang out with dumb people, you get dumber. Because you don't lose IQ points, do you? No. It says that when you hang out with foolish people, your life leads to destruction. And so some of the mess that surrounds your life, it simply goes back to like, well, you've chosen to be around really, really a, a, a poor class of person. And I'm not saying you don't love them or God doesn't love them. I'm just saying you don't hitch your life to these people. These people stay on the realm of acquaintance and shallow friendships. This is not your inner circle. Does that make sense? And so many of us are driven to invite foolish people into our life. And, and I, I wrote it down like this is when the desire for acceptance trumps wisdom, you end up with empty relationships. When the desire for acceptance, like I just so want to be liked or I just so want to have a friend. When that trumps wisdom, you end up with empty and foolish friendships. Everybody say, hmm, okay. That's like a church thing. I, was, I haven't heard that all day. Number four is this, is I want you to become the friend that you want to have. Because it is real easy to sit on the outskirts and say, well, I don't have any great friends. Because the brutal, honest truth might be, is it might be that you are a person 
That it's the poor friend that is pushing other people away. I want you to embody the heart of David. I want you to become a... Listen, I promise you this. If you became a person that every time you met somebody and began to engage in relationship, if you just looked for ways to encourage them, I promise it would change. If you just look for a way, hey, when I meet them, in the first 15 seconds of talking to them, I must say something nice about them, something encouraging about them. If you became an encourager, people warm to that. I'm not saying be fake or be phony. I'm saying purpose yourself to be an encourager. If you become a person who sacrifices willingly for your friends, I'm telling you what, people are endeared to that. Remember, sacrifice equals closeness. When you become a person that defends, when you become a person that allows people to be themselves, I'm telling you, you end up cultivating great relationships. Become the person, become the friend that we all desire to have as our best friend. Amen? Do me a favor, bow your heads and close your eyes today. For some of us, this might have been a tough message and challenging at points. For others, this was just a reminder. It was a simple reminder. It was an encourager to keep doing what I've been doing. Wherever you're at in life, I want God to speak to you and God to help you because I want you to know this. God wants you to have great friendships and relationships because it determines the quality and direction of your life. And it helps you. It really helps you here, which is maybe the most important thing of all. It helps you to draw closer to your heavenly father in relationship with him. So, Father, we pray today, God, that you would help us. That, God, if there was a, a part of this message that said, it twisted us on the inside and we knew that we had failed there or we didn't measure up right there, that, God, you would just strengthen us and help us to change. But God, I pray that we would all walk out of this place. This is my big prayer. God, help us to all walk out of this place and become an incredible friend to someone. Father, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?